Mercer and Adam Cole with you, the broadcasters for the Bowie Bay Sox, who called six straight wins for Bowie as the Bay Sox sweep the Redding fight and fills. And Adam, we saw a dominant performance over Redding over the last week. Bowie just completely overmatching Redding in pretty much every aspect of the baseball game in every game, and especially when Redding had to go to the bullpen. First off, before we get too far into it, what do you think your biggest takeaway was from the whole week for Bowie as a whole? You know, they're just kind of a never-say-die ball club, Paul. You know, I mean, it, it's it was – Sunday was the most remarkable aspect of that. In the six-game series as a whole, the base Sox uh, led for almost the entire time. But, but even when they were trailing, you just felt like a big inning was right around the corner. Now, Redding was – very giving in that it was an absolute walkathon, uh, you know. But I mean, the Bay Sox walked a lot of hitters too, and and when you look at all aspects of of the game, um, uh, there's no doubt that the Bay Sox uh, were the team that fundamentally was better, even though they walked a ton of hitters. Meaning, uh, Bowie played so much better defense in the series than Redding did, and, and it was extremely influential. Uh, you know, when it was all said and done, you know, you could look back at just fundamental mistakes that were costing Redding multiple runs per game. And uh, obviously in many of the games, uh, Bowie won by more than that, but in some like Sunday afternoon, every run counted. So I, all in all, uh, I, I think what you take uh, of it from a Bay Sox perspective is that it is incredible that they just swept a six game series. I mean, I, I, if you asked me before the year, I, I would tell you it wasn't going to happen. I mean, the Bay Sox weren't going to sweep the series and they weren't going to be swept in a series. And here we are two weeks into the year and it's already happened. But with that being said, I, I think uh, you can also look at, and I think Buck Britton, uh, Justin Ramsey, who we talked to uh, here, uh, the Bay Sox pitching coach, I think they know there's a, it's not like the Bay Sox are a well-oiled machine uh, that's just clicking on all cylinders right now. There are a lot of things that this team can improve upon. And, uh, and that's, you know, to be honest, that's all also a very exciting narrative too, right? Yeah, no doubt. And one thing that led the way for Bowie, a bright spot that we just heard, Pat Dorian was named the AA Northeast League Player of the Week. And then also Delmarva Shorebird said Gunnar Henderson, the Low A East Player of the Week. So a couple of Orioles organizational pieces that are making some headlines around this uh, Orioles minor league system. But Pat Dorian, talk about a guy who had a week, a grand slam to basically win the game uh, for Bowie the other night. He leads a team with five home runs. At one point, he led all of double-A baseball and OPS and slugging percentage. This guy has been on a roll. The Baltimore Sun picks him up for an article. He was on 105.7 earlier this afternoon. Yes. Pat Dorian has had a very, very good first two weeks of the season and he's played pretty good defense at third as well I mean he made a, a one error the other night but outside of that you know a couple of bare hand plays charging down the line and uh, you know I don't know if he's somebody that people had circled on their rosters coming into the year but he's definitely somebody that has made some headlines early on yeah I like that you talked about his defense because uh, he's probably made as many or more errors than any base sock uh, but I think when you watch the games every night, you realize uh, that he's the guy that's also made the most wow plays or really above average defensive plays in the field. I mean, like you said, two great bare hand plays 
Uh, we've seen him diving and making great stops, popping to his feet. He's got a very good arm. Uh, in, in a way, his errors have been largely due to the fact that he's been over-aggressive, right? He's tried to make plays uh, that weren't there. Uh, I know he had a kind of a routine throwing error uh, in one of the first few games in Altoona, but it's going to happen. I mean, you're, you're going to commit an error here or there. Uh, so I, I think that um, that Dorian's really just standing out uh, as far as the tools, right? I mean, yeah. whether that's range at third base, whether that's his arm, whether that's his power at the plate. I mean, he's got easy power. I mean, even those foul balls are, are majestic in nature, right? And I know that the grand slam that he hit earlier this week, uh, Bowie was trailing 4-3, and all of a sudden they're up 7-4. That won the game, basically. And that grand slam was a ball that Dorian off the bat thought was just a long fly ball out, just due to his reaction. He kind of gave the shrug, like, what, you know, what can I do? Everything's going, you know, turning up smelling like roses. So, uh, <laughs> you know, what you're looking for is guys uh, that have really good tools and then can, uh, can work and continue to develop those tools. And I think that Dorian is not one of these players uh, that is maxed out in his ability, meaning playing at the top echelon of his game. I mean, he looks like somebody uh, that has got, he's a toolsy ball player. And that just means that it, it looks like he's a ball player that over the last two years has really improved. And um, if he continues on that rate, uh, he's going to be a big league ball player. Yeah, and you talk about the easy power, somebody that showcased that yesterday, Adley Rutschman, two home runs in the series, but the one yesterday on Sunday afternoon was a no-doubter that went off the bat at, I believe it was 109 miles an hour, uh, and it went all the way up the scoreboard, hit him in the face off the jumbotron. <laughs> the header. And, uh, yeah, the header. And it, uh, I mean, that ball, you and I talked about it in between innings. We felt like it was still going up as it went out and hit the scoreboard and it just off the bat was to me, at least one of the most impressive minor league home runs I've seen in a long time. It was just so powerful. The bat through the zone, the extension on the swing from the left side. Again, all three of his home runs have been from the left side. And uh, this time he pulled the ball. We've seen him, uh, you know, go to the opposite field in Altoona. He went to left center from the left side, but this time he got all of that baseball. Undoubtedly, uh, just enormous power. Uh, so, so you talk about tools. I mean, obviously a guy that's thought of as the top number one draft choice in the last decade in baseball is going to have some tools, but it, it really is pretty remarkable because he, he's a tall guy, uh, much like the last great Bay Sox catcher, Matt Wieters in 2008. Uh, we, I think Wieters was, Six five and Rutschman might be six four or at six 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 five. You know, so he's a very tall catcher, but he's also very athletic. So he's not stiff. I feel like he he is a more athletic ball player than Weeders. Uh, in the same regard, though, uh, you know, Rutschman. If you're looking for positives, there, there's just a ton. I mean, he's a guy that that uh, hits just hits for immense power. There's no ballpark that can hold him. Uh, number two, he's got an outstanding throwing arm. Uh, he's got great feet, so he's always putting himself in position uh, to make a strong and accurate throw. He is a leader. I mean, we haven't gotten to meet him the way we would if this were a non-COVID type situation, but through all the reports and how he's worked with his teammates, I mean, he, he's, he's, he's a guy that leads the way, and that's what you want from a catcher, more, more of a, 
you know, a kind of a leader on the field, um, kind of like a coach on the field. I think that's something the Orioles have been missing for a long time. Uh, and, but um, the two things that, that stand out to me that, that many might not think of about Rutschman, number one, in a major positive note, is he's just got an outstanding eye at the plate. Um, I think this is going to become a, a huge thing in the Mike Elias regime. Uh, the Orioles right now have a lot of very aggressive hitters. You know, I, I, when you look at guys like Cedric Mullins, like Austin Hayes, Ryan Mountcastle, you know, these are guys that they're, they're up there to swing the bat. You know, I'm not saying they'll never walk, but when you look at it, that they are going to frustrate you at times swinging at pitches outside of the strike zone. Um, Rutschman, a big part of his game as a hitter is that he's going to continue to get himself into really good counts because he's such a dangerous power hitter that people are nervous to pitch to him, but then he's not going to bail them out. So he's going to get in these 2-0 counts that end up leading to opportunities to obviously get a pitch to hit, number one, or number two, an opportunity to get on base and walk. And what we've seen is that Rutschman has been just as much of a run scorer as a run driver in, which is unusual. You don't see catchers scoring that many runs usually, right? Because they can be base cloggers. So uh, he, he's the guy, I mean, he walked 10 times last week. It's, it's absolutely absurd. The thing is, obviously, when you're hitting for that kind of power, though, you do have a slightly longer swing, right? I mean, that's just the nature of the beast. You're not going to be this short slasher and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and hit the ball like he did off his face in right center. So the question is, what is Rutschman going to hit? I mean, I know batting average is not the end-all, be-all, but, uh, but you'd like to see Rutschman, uh, you know, hit for, for a, you know, a pretty good average at the big league level because he's going to walk a lot. He's going to hit for a lot of power. But uh, that's going to be really, really interesting to see. You know, what is that strikeout rate going to be like against him going against more premier velocity? Because in collegiate baseball, you're going to see a lot of pitchers that throw them in the upper 80s. And, of course, here we are in a world of double-A baseball where the majority of pitchers are or at least, you know, in the low 90s, but many times in the mid-90s. So I think, and, of course, the big leagues, that's where you're at. So this is the main thing I want to see over time, uh, to see Rutschman's ability to handle velocity. Uh, but uh, I think that uh, altogether – you know, when you put that whole picture together, you've got yourself an extremely exciting prospect. Yeah. And you talk about the 10 walks that he worked. I mean, he walks three times in two straight games and we kept commenting on the broadcast that it felt like you could just put three balls up on the scoreboard <laughs> as soon as he stepped into the box. And what that right. does is it forces the pitcher to throw good pitches because they know he has such a command of the zone. And it also, you know, the umpire, can sometimes be affected by that too when they know that the hitter has such a good eye that they know what's a strike and what's not a strike there are ripple effects to a guy having such a command of the zone that Rutschman has displayed so far and while the strikeout numbers for him might have been a little high in that first series he certainly got that down this past week and he was just totally taking pitches that he knew weren't strikes and he wasn't going to chase just because he was frustrated that he wasn't hitting we saw that with the two RBI double that he had. We saw it with the home run. He was just waiting on his pitch, and he knew eventually it would come because they're not going to walk him every time, but they certainly tried to, you know, walking him three times in two straight games, ten times overall. Eventually, he's going to get a pitch to hit, and it might just be one pitch in the game, but if that's the one pitch, the one mistake pitch, he 
went out and made the most of it with, you know, talking about four RBIs off of a couple extra base hits. Yeah, so so think about it this way. Let, let's think that Rutschman, who was a better than 400 hitter in each of his last two years in college, let's say that in the big leagues, you know, he's a guy that once again – uh, at times is going to strike out a, a little bit here and there, right? Uh, because guys are going to go after him with the fastball, and obviously he's got a big, you know, he's he's attacking it, right? I mean, he he's 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 trying to drive the thing out of the ballpark. So, with that being said, um, you know, I think that the batting eye is just as important to his game as some of these other tools that stand out and are talked about and really the praise is lavished upon uh, Rutschman because, you know, if you got to the major leagues and he was chasing a lot of balls out of the zone and, and really, really trying to make something happen, you know, he, he could easily be a guy that was a 240 hitter, you know, and, and a 300 on base guy uh, that still hit a lot of home runs and hit for a lot of doubles and was a great defensive catcher. So he's a below average on base guy. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of yeah, strikeouts, yeah. So a lot of at-bats that don't really produce anything. But even if he's a high strikeout guy in the major leagues, and I'm not going to say that's the case, but even if he is, the fact that he's going to walk a lot, I mean, even if he hits 260 or 270 in the big leagues, and the hopes are that he's a, that he can you know, be a, a, a better hitter as far as batting average than that, but let's say he hits 270 and he hits you know, 30 to 40 homers, <laughs> you know, and, and he walks a ton and he's a guy that's like a 360 on base guy, you know, hitting 35 home runs a year. I mean, that, and he's playing catching your most important defensive position. I mean, that's a superstar baseball player, an absolute superstar. So I, I know that, uh, that that obviously Rutschman has struck out a lot in the first two weeks of the year, not really the second week, to be honest, just at Altoona. I, I would just say, though, that that you know, he's got immense power just from both sides of the plate. Uh, he's got a great batting eye. Uh, he's a leader. He's an outstanding defensive catcher uh, in, in catching, you know, in, in receiving pitches and throwing. Uh, and of course, he's going to be a guy that you keep in your lineup. So he's going to be a DH. He's going to be a first baseman. Uh, so boy, I mean, he, he, he's an extremely exciting uh, ball player to watch. And, and we're really fortunate uh, here in Bowie and of course obviously as as Orioles fans so let's spend a few minutes here before we uh, before we sign off let's spend a few minutes here wrapping up what we witnessed yesterday four hours and 17 minutes a 13 to 12 score that Bowie scores seven runs in the final two innings 10 runs combined between Bowie and Redding as Bowie pushes across three runs three. in the bottom of the ninth and then Redding answers for three more in the top of the 10th and then in the bottom of the 10th, Bowie has a four-run inning to win the game. J.C. Escaro wins it on a bases-loaded uh, walk-off double to send everybody home happy. But four hours and 17 minutes, extra innings, the longest game of the year, the biggest crowd of the year. And uh, that was one of – I mean, you've broadcasted a lot more games than I have, but that was one of the craziest – just crazy, not even – I don't want to say like insane, but just – kind of off the rails a lot of walks um you know some strikeouts mixed in there but just had kind of everything and then in the last two innings that last like 45 minutes just all of a sudden turned into one of the wildest like baseball games I've actually been a part of in a long time 
Yeah, we'll always remember that one. And, and when you broadcast as many games as baseball people do, there's a lot more games you forget about than ones you remember. But we will always <laughs> remember that one. And it wasn't pretty, right? I mean, you wouldn't watch that game and say, this is great baseball. But, uh, but once again, these ballplayers were off last year. And I, I think there's a big rust factor that we're seeing in minor league baseball. There's an article, I haven't been able to read it fully yet, but in Baseball America today about that, uh, about the level of play in the minor leagues being way down this year. That, I think that is to be expected um, because obviously big league baseball did happen last year. There was an alternate site, so almost everybody that's in the major leagues this year participated in a lot of baseball activities <laughs> in 2020, uh, but, uh, but the majority of the players on the, the base Sox and throughout minor league baseball did not, you know, they were just kind of working at home and, and it, it's a whole different game. So what a, what a crazy game. And I think, <laughs> the, you know, the, 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 the exciting part from a more positive nature is just the resiliency of this team, you know, whatever it took uh, <laughs> the patience to be able to score four runs on one hit in an inning twice. I mean, that's absurd, but it happened. Uh, you know, and um, something we'll probably never see again, which is to be down three runs in the ninth, come back and tie it, and be down three runs in the tenth and come back and win it. I I've never seen anything like that in baseball to overcome such an enormous deficit twice in consecutive innings. Um, it, it, it was just unbelievable. Yeah, and, uh, it, it, to it have was. it wrap up a sweep, I mean, it was really something. Um, it'll be interesting to see this Reading team. As they go forward, that's one of the interesting things of this. Like, you know, the Bay Sox went three and two against Altoona and looked like the better team for the majority of the series against Altoona. But, like, is Altoona awful? See Altoona go, and they go five and one this last week. So, you know, I mean, Reading is a team that's now two and ten. They went two and four in their opening series. Uh, the Bay Sox are going to be playing a Richmond team next on the road that has had a lot of success to start the year. So um, it's going to be interesting to see uh, playing these long series uh, really makes it harder to gauge where you are, even if you have a great record. But no doubt, nine and two is a beautiful place to be uh, for the Bay Sox. And uh, I also one last thought is that when when you're winning ball games like yesterday, there's just this feeling that no matter who. Uh, is going to be that person to get that at bat or to make that pinch that, that they're going to get it done. You know, you're going to find a way to win. And Escara um, obviously did that for the Bay Sox last night. Yeah, no doubt. So now the Bay Sox will travel down to Richmond this upcoming week. They'll play six games against the Flying Squirrels. Richmond at eight and four on the year. They're tied with Erie for second in the Southwest Division, who is also at eight and four, Akron and Altoona both at seven and four. Harrisburg, the only team, Adam, uh, in the Southwest Division with a losing record at four and eight. And then up in the Northeast, things are a little different. The Northeast right. Division only has two teams with a winning record. <laughs> That's Portland and Somerset, both at the top at seven and five. Then Hartford, New Hampshire, five and seven. Reading at two and ten. Binghamton finally gets a win yesterday. They're at finally. finally the ponies. The ponies at the the. You know, they, they got a game where they rode the rail around and they were able to win it by a nose. That's exactly right. So so uh, now the uh, Bay Sox will go down to Richmond, have six down there, and uh, we'll see what comes of it, how we're talking about this team next week. And 
you know, playing a team in Richmond that seems to probably be the best team that uh, that Bowie has faced so far through the first couple of weeks. So we'll we'll see how this team yeah, fares down. Yeah, there. and one one thought on on the Richmond series to come here is that uh, Bowie Altoona is by no means a power hitters paradise, but uh, Altoona is kind of a ballpark where it depends on where you hit it. You know, if you hit the ball down the left field line. Uh, as a right-handed hitter, if you pull the ball, it's it's an easy park to hit a home run. But uh, left center, center, right center, right, it's it's a it's a deep ballpark. Uh, and Bowie obviously conquered that. But there's nothing like Richmond in this league. I, they moved the, the fences in, you know, a few years ago in Richmond, and it still didn't seem to matter that much. I mean, Richmond is a ballpark that is uh, kind of a, a graveyard, you know, it's, it's a big, big ballpark, cookie cutter ballpark. Wind is almost always blowing in, uh, from right center field, you know, kind of across the field. And it's just really tough to hit for power And the base Sox are a team, uh, that has won largely due, uh, to their outstanding power hitting prowess. So, uh, it, it's going to be a tough series. Uh, the giants uh, have invested a lot in their minor leagues of late. Uh, Richmond's been a team that's been very poor the last few years. Doesn't appear to be the case this year. There's some really good prospects on the team. I think one of them, uh, maybe the tallest pitcher in the minor league, Sean Jelly, is going to pitch against Bowie here. Uh, He was uh, with Richmond at the end of 2019, and he's going to pitch against the Bay Sox on Tuesday night. But uh, but I don't know. We'll just have to see. I don't think Rutschman's home run is going to (laughs) be that went, went off his face. Uh, would be held by the diamond, but but uh, but let's just put it this way: there's a lot of balls off the bat that you feel really good about that are caught, and you think, "Oh my God, that only went that far!" In <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, for Adam, I'm Paul, and we'll be uh, we'll seeing you all week. We will be broadcasting the games again from Bowie, but we will have the games for you. Uh, starting tomorrow night and then all the we all the way through the week Tuesday through Sunday Adam let's rock and roll thanks Paul hey everybody Adam Paul Paul Fritchner here today and we are so happy to be joined by Bay Sox pitching coach in Justin Ramsey Justin how are things going oh it's been good man it's been good thanks for having me on what a great start to the year Uh, I gotta tell you though obviously it's, it's different times you're living in as far as how you're interacting uh, with those around you. You're almost in your own little bubble, per se. But also, one thing that sticks out to me is that, you know, for the first time ever, we've got a 28-man roster at the AA level. And uh, the way the Bay Sox roster is oriented is that all those extra players are pitchers. So what has it been like for you to try to find these guys' innings and, and instead of being working with 12 or 13 guys to have 15 or 16 on your staff? Um, well, you know, we're fortunate in that we have a lot of quality arms. And so, you know, when it comes down to time to find somebody to throw, it's, you have almost an embarrassment of riches of, okay, well, let's go get Vespi or, you know, it just pick mm-hmm. a name it's, they've had success for. So that part's been nice managing the numbers, um, especially early is going to be a lot easier with, you know, keeping guys pitch counts and checks and things like that. Mm-hmm. All in so, um, there's going to be more and more innings and opportunities for, for these guys. Once, you know, we get rolling in a couple months here and they're a little more stretched out, that's when we'll, we'll find our challenges. But 
Um, as an organization, we have a philosophy of, you know, prioritizing the player development. So we'll make sure they get their work uh, regardless of if it's got to be something that we're doing beforehand, just in a sim game situation, like when we're at home or, you know, finding innings for these guys on the road as we go. Um, as far as, you know, handling the, the numbers, fortunate uh, for me that I was a, a college coach for a long time before I got the opportunity to come join the Orioles. So I'm used to working with 20, 25 pitchers in a fall and things like that. So finding a way to manage, you know, 14, 15, 16, 17 guys. Um, it's, it's not anything I haven't had experience with in the past. You look at guys starting in your rotation between guys like Kyle Bradish and, and DL Hall, two names that really stand out and throwing over nine scoreless innings to start their years. How impressive have those two guys been for you to start games? Um, again, we're very fortunate with our staff top to bottom. We have guys that um, it doesn't matter, you know, if they're one of those top 30 prospects or not. We know we're going to have quality appearances from all of them. And so it's been a lot of fun. Very fortunate with the group that has uh, been, been bestowed upon us here in Bowie. Um, you know, I've had some experience with these guys at the alternate site last year. And obviously um, keeping up during all, um, all of the time away, if you will, during COVID and things like that. So. A lot of these guys have been on my, my call list, um, so checking in. So I'm not shocked by, uh, you know, what's going on on the mound. It's, it's been a lot of fun and honestly been a long time coming for them. You know, it's interesting, Justin, because in 2019, the Bay Sox had such an incredible starting pitching staff that, uh, that really went deep into games. And coming off of a lost season, obviously this year, I feel like throughout baseball, there is uh, being more of, uh, a careful nature as far as pitch counts, inning counts for pitchers. I talked about obviously the extended rosters. So people have more pitchers to be able to work innings. Uh, but what do you see as time goes on here? Do you expect guys to get stretched out a little bit uh, as far as uh, the starters that you put into games? Uh, or do you see it kind of staying as is for a little while? Um, no, we're, I mean, guys will get stretched out. That's just the nature of the season. Obviously we want to develop guys to, uh, be able to get into the seventh or eighth inning in the big leagues. I mean, obviously the success we have at the minor level is great, but honestly our goal, you know, win, lose, or draw down here is to develop major league weapons to get major league hitters out. That's what we want to do. And we're talking about starters. That means going through a lineup a third time and, and finding a way to, you know, it, it, you know, we're going to have starters. DL Hall faces the same team twice in the same week. That's going to happen next week with other guys. And so right. you're, you're going to see, um, you know, these guys learn, how to manage their, their pitches and their approaches and mix, mix things up. And so I think it's part of why you're going to see some um, higher walks early. I know, you know, Paul and I were talking about that earlier, just kind of the, the, the nature of the game and where it's at right now. You, know, you take 20 months off from the last time there's you know, <laughs> professional competitive at-bats going on, and these guys are going to have some ups and downs. That's to be expected. So, you know, the, the, the outings are certainly going to, to grow in length as they get more comfortable and we're going to see these guys ultimately um you know by the end of the year going into the sixth and seventh inning when they have those efficient rates so off of that with like walks strikeouts hit by pitches some of those numbers came out through the first couple of weeks of the season earlier today and you can see those numbers are very high you know the balls in play balls you know being hit that number is down and the strikeouts walks hit by pitches are up do you feel like that's something that is, you know, because you were talking about how, 
you work with these guys through the offseason, you check in on everything, but there's nothing really like the live pitching. And now that they're in the games, are you starting to kind of see that come out or, or how do you think they're going to work through that? Um, no, I mean, I think it's, it's a more, what's the best way to put it? Just think of like when you start a season, the, the hitters are always going to be behind the pitchers. It doesn't matter, you know, what you did to get ready. There's no simulating a game. And when you multiply that by X, because it's been 20 months instead of five months or whatever it is in the normal off season, you're going to have these lumps and these, these skewed numbers like that. Things are going to balance out, you know, pitchers are going to throw more strikes. <laughs> walks are going to go down hitters are going to get used to seeing live pitching again and the batting average is going to go up and baseball is going to be baseball I understand you know the game's changing a little bit in in terms of you know <clears throat> home runs strikeouts and walks becoming like the three ultimate outcomes and that's all there is but um I still think you know the game's still the game and you're going to see those things kind of level out as we go yeah I, I'm interested to see about pitch se- sequencing because uh in the Orioles organization years ago, Dylan Bundy coming up, I remember a start where he dominated through five innings and was lifted. And you look back and, and like 95% of the pitches he threw were fastballs. He was just absolutely overpowering the low levels of the minor leagues. And he was doing what he knew what to do to, to have the best outcome. For a pitcher like D.L. Hall, he's got an absolutely overpowering fastball. But he throws, uh, if I had to guess, that pitch 45 to 50% of the time and maybe a little work. Uh, are you excited to, to let DL try to work on those secondary pitches when he might be a guy that could throw 80, 85% fastballs at the double a level and have great success? Oh no, we, we encourage it. We, we know a lot of these guys, you know, up and down the board can get by with just the fastball. But like I said earlier, nobody cares if he punched out 10 and double a, at the end of the day, like, it's great. We all, yeah. we're all excited about all that, but again, we want to, we got to talk about developing pitchers to not just survive, but win in the, the AL East, a gauntlet. You're going to face the Yankees, the Red Sox, the uh, Rays and the Blue Jays 19 times. You're going to see a lot of lineups. Like just, you can't live on just a fastball. We see it all the time. hundred gets turned around in the big leagues. If it's not located well, they know it's coming. And so understanding um, the ability to pitch. And so, you know, it's, it's been talked about before in this organization where walk rates are up at the beginning of the year or even across the board for a season, because we're working on guys developing these other weapons and ability to throw them. You know, if, if we walk a guy because we throw a, a full count curveball, I don't care. Like I want them to throw that full count curveball. That is something as an organization we, we encourage because at the end of the day, we need to be able to throw that full count curveball with bases loaded in the ninth inning against Stanton or whoever, like whoever mm-hmm. you want it to be uh, when the game is on the line. And so if we walk a guy in 2021, but we punch the ticket in t- 2025, is it worth it? Absolutely. So, I mean, you're never going to hear me complain about walks like that. Now, obviously, if we're not competitive, that's a different conversation. But in terms of the development of the, the weapons that we have um, in our back pocket, then, yeah, we're going to absolutely go – push that over. Yeah. Just go get these guys out with fastballs. Cause that doesn't work where it matters. How do you feel like the catchers and Chris Hudgens and Adley Rutschman have been managing the pitchers so far? Uh, they've been fantastic. I mean, we're very fortunate to have two, you know, above, above average guys behind the plate, obviously Adley being who he is and you know what he gets to 
but on the, you know, when he puts on the Jersey, everybody knows it. Like it's, we understand that, but Hudgie's been just as good behind the plate for us. His knowledge of the game and his ability to, to manage a staff and, and mix up pitches and things like that in terms of the game planning and calling, it's been fantastic working with those guys. Now, obviously down the road, we'll dig in a little bit deeper towards individuals, but uh, the, a lot of Oriole fans are really excited about some of these players that were traded for uh, that are new to the organization. So, so for instance, what makes a guy, guy like Kyle Bradish so effective? He's different. I mean, when you look at the delivery, that's not necessarily something anyone's going to teach, but that's how his body works. And that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Let's go make the body work as efficiently as it can. However, it was designed to work. So, you know, his ability to throw the baseball from an, an over the top slot that you don't typically see and make the weapons that he makes when he throws it. I mean, it's, it's fun to watch. And again, you don't, you look at say the Rays last year in the playoffs and they showed that clock of arms of where everybody came from out of the bullpen. You want that. And to have that in, in your starting rotations, even better, you can't, you know, get used to seeing one particular thing when you go from, say a DL on night one to a Bradish on night two to Kevin Smith mm-hmm. on the night. I think it's going to be all over the board. And I guess Kevin Smith would be another one, you know, to, to look into. I, obviously he's a very different pitcher. There's, there's kind of a lot of guys uh, that have similar profiles to him uh, that are either in the bigs or near the big leagues now in AAA that were with the Bay Sox uh, in 2018 or 2019. But, but uh, obviously Smith is somebody that had a lot of success. Uh, in his first full season of the Mets organization in 19. Yeah, he's he's one of those, if you want to call it a pitchability lefty, because that's what you're supposed to call them, that's fine. But <laughs> if you look at the numbers, like, it's not just soft contact. He missed bats. He misses bats, too. And so, mm-hmm. uh, again, it's another lefty. And uh, like you said, there's a, a group of, you know, three or four of those guys. Um, and you can never have too much pitching, whether it is, you know, a, a type of profile like that, that pitchability lefty that can miss bats, then let's go get as many of them as you can. Cause again, you, you never have too much. And so, you know, talking about those guys that are new to the organization, they've been, been fun to, to, to work with, obviously, um, you know, having them get the experience from other organizations and then come in and see what we have available and, you know, get the excitement that, um, but we provide with the technology and information and how we can better apply it. Um, you can see that the jumps and and what they're doing. One guy out of the bullpen, Nick Vespi, and you mentioned him a little bit ago. He's got somebody that a lot of people are talking about. He strikes out five guys in a row in one of his appearances in Altoona. And he just seems like he comes out of the bullpen and as a lefty has the stuff to be able to get those hitters to swing and miss. And you guys have really relied on him. What are you looking for out of him as to what he's built on now in these first couple of weeks? Uh, he's just dependable, man. I obviously had him in 19 in Delmarva, so very familiar with him. Um, he worked really hard in the offseason. Um, you know, wasn't one of the guys that came to the alternate site. That wasn't a knock on him. We just only had so many spots. Sure. And so, um, you know, he had a separate game plan, and, and he attacked it and worked on, you know, developing a little bit more of an efficient delivery, if you will, that creates just a little bit more velocity to, to everything. And I mean, he credit to him, he worked really hard and you can kind of see the results. Not that he was bad, obviously in 19, he was fantastic for us, but to have that weapon available at any time in the pen, whether it's 
first guy up or, you know, guy throwing the last pitch of the game. It's just, it gives you that extra, um, you know, security blanket as a, as a staff of knowing, you know, you've got somebody to go to when you need it. And, you know, we're fortunate to have a few of those guys, but obviously he's been really good for us so far. Well, lastly, Justin, before we let you go, I know that 2019, I believe was your first year in the organization and at Delmarva, you set, I believe it was an all time record for strikeouts in the South Atlantic league. What is it like now year three, obviously 2020 was a year like none other, but you're getting to work with some of the same guys here at the double a level. What is it like at this level of baseball and then trying to, to kind of have that same mojo as far as uh, those enormous strikeout numbers uh, staff wide and missing bats, as you've talked about, not just soft contact here uh, with Bowie. Uh, well, if the Orioles keep providing arms the way they did in 19 and 21, I feel like I'm going to look like a really good pitching coach for a really long time. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, the work obviously is to get these guys better, but having the ability to apply information at a higher level, because, you know, when you look at what you're doing in, in low A in terms of development compared to double A as you prepare for the big leagues, you know, we have, we all have the same information, but we want to apply it a little differently because we want to simplify the message to the players so they don't get bogged down and slowed down um, with information overload. You still need to go out and figure out how you work most efficiently, where we want to attack and have the ability to throw, you know, whatever that pitch needs to be in that situation. And so now that we're in double A, ideally these guys have figured out how to, how to do those things. And now let's go figure out an attack plan and apply it with the information we have where the hitter's, you know, strengths and weaknesses are and the same thing with a pitcher. Can we, you know, find a way to, you know, as we talked about, these guys are going to see six game series. You're going to have bullpen arms go two, three times. You're going to have starters potentially see the same team twice. How do you game plan around that and, and mix and match and get the most out of the guys? That's that to me is the fun part. And that's been the difference in, in what's going on um, getting ready for games this year compared to in 19. Well, Justin, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it, and we wish you all the best. Hopefully, this 9-2 start is just the beginning of great things to come. No problem. Thanks for having me. Good. Uh, hopefully, we can uh, keep this thing rolling. <laughs>